Chapter Thirty of the Great White Queen by William LeCue. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Weiss. Chapter Thirty: Treasure and Treason. At Omar's request, a few days later, I accompanied him alone through a private exit of the palace, and ere long we found ourselves unnoticed beyond the ponderous city walls, where two horses held by a slave were awaiting us. Mounting, we rode straight for the open country, and not knowing whither we were going or what were my companion's intentions, we soon left the great city far behind. For fully three hours we pressed forward, my companion avoiding any answer to my questions as to our goal, until about noon we came to a rising mount in the midst of a beautiful country with palms and scattered orange groves. The scene was a veritable paradise. Beautiful fruits, heaped from between the foliage, and every colored, every scented flower in agreeable variety intermingled with the grass. Roses and woodbines, very much like those in England, appeared in beauteous contention, while beneath great trees were rich flocks of birds of various feather. At the foot of the hill ran a clear transparent stream, which gently washed the margin of the green whereon we stood. On the other side a grove of myrtles, intermixed with roses and flowering shrubs, led into shady mazes, in the midst of which appeared the glittering tops of elegant pavilions, some of which stood on the brink of the river, others had wide avenues leading through the groves, and others were almost hidden from sight by intervening woods. All were calculated to give the ideas of pleasure rather than magnificence, and had more ease than labor conspicuous. Beautiful, I cried gazing entranced upon the scene. Yes, from the moment we left the city, and passed through the ancient gateway that you admired, we have been riding in my private domain. Here, as far as the eye can reach, all is mine, the garden of the Sinones. But let us hasten forward. It was not to show you picturesque landscapes that I brought you hither. We have much to do ere we return." Skirting the stream where flocks and shepherds stood gazing at their own images, and others drinking of the transparent waters, we found the river, growing wider, opened into a spacious lake which was half surrounded by a rising hill. From the lake, higher than the river, ran a glittering cascade, and over the pendant rocks fell luxuriant vines and creeping plants. At the opposite extremity of the lake, which by its pure waters exposed the bright yellow pebbles on which it wantoned, two streams ran towards the right and left of the hill, and lost themselves amidst the groves, pasture, and hillocks of the adjacent country. The prospects around us were beautiful and enchanting. Lofty trees threw a delightful welcome shade, and the hillside seemed covered with flowering shrubs which grew irregularly except where a torrent from the summit, now dry, had during ages worn out a deep hollow bed for its rapid passage and descent. There were no roads or beaten paths in this secluded portion of the royal domain, neither could there be seen any traces of habitation. "'Deep in yonder lake,' said Omar, drawing up his horse suddenly, and swinging himself from his saddle near the spot where the waters, springing from beneath some green moss-grown rocks, fell with gentle music into the river. "'Deep in yonder lake there lies a hidden mystery.' "'A mystery!' I cried. "'What is it?' "'Have patience.' and I will reveal to you a secret known only to myself and to the Naya, the secret that I told you must be preserved. But you say it is buried beneath these waters? I exclaimed, puzzled. 
how will you reveal it? Watch closely, so that if occasion arises you will remember how to exactly imitate my movements, he answered, and when we had tethered our horses he led me away from the edge of the lake up the hillside some distance, to where a number of points of moss-grown rock cropped up out of the turf. After searching among them for some minutes he suddenly stopped before one that rose from the ground about three feet, and was perhaps ten yards in circumference, examining it carefully, at last giving vent to an ejaculation of satisfaction. "'You see this rock, Scars?' he cried. "'Does anything about it appear to you remarkable?' I bent, and feeling it with both my hands, carefully examined its side, top and base. "'No,' I answered, laughing. "'As far as I can detect, it is the same as the others.' "'You would never guess anything hidden there?' he asked, smiling. "'No.' well watch and i'll show you and with these words the naba of mo approached the rock at a point immediately facing me and placing his hands upon the side about two feet from the ground drew out bodily a portion of its lichen-coloured face about eighteen inches square that had been so deftly hewn that when in its place none could detect it had ever been removed peering into the cavity thus disclosed i saw to my surprise what appeared to be a small iron lever, thickly rusted, descending into some cog-wheeled mechanism of a very complicated character. Now, watch the lake while I reveal to you its mystery, my companion said, placing his hands upon the lever. With a harsh, grating noise, it fell back beneath the weight he threw upon it, and the harsh jarring of cog-wheels revolving sounded for a few moments beneath our feet. Then, as he set the mechanism in motion, my gaze was fixed upon the lake, and I stood aghast in wonderment. As the lever was drawn, and the rusty cogs ran into one another, the whole mass of rock damming the lake above the small cascade where it fell into the river gradually rose, like a great sluice-gate, allowing the waters to escape and empty themselves, roaring and tumbling into the winding river beside which we had journeyed. It was an amazing transformation as imposing as it was unexpected. A few seconds before, the river, shallow and peaceful, fed by its tiny cascade, rippled away over its pebbly bed. Now, however, with the great volume of water from the lake, it rose so rapidly that the swirling, boiling current overflowed its banks, sweeping everything before it. Nor was this the only result of pressing the lever, for at the opposite end of the lake a similar outlet opened and as I looked I saw the water falling with a rapidity that was astounding. Hydraulic power was evidently known to these strange semi-civilized people, yet the actual means by which the lake was so rapidly emptied I was unable to discover, all the machinery being hidden away in some subterranean chamber. By what cunning device is this accomplished? I inquired of Omar, who stood regarding the disappearing flood with satisfaction. This mechanism was invented ages ago by one of my ancestors, he answered. Its exact date no man can tell. But here water is given mastery over itself, and so careful was its constructor to preserve the secret of its existence that the slaves and workmen, all criminals, were kept close prisoners during the whole time they were at work, and on its completion they were all, without a single exception, killed in order that none should know the secret save the reigning Naba and his heir. They were murdered, then? They were all criminals, who for various serious crimes had been condemned to death. It is said they numbered over two hundred, 
Omar answered. But even as he had been speaking, the water of the lake had so drained away that its clean stony bottom was now revealed, the pebbles being exposed in large patches here and there, while the deeper pools remaining were alive with water-snakes and fish of all kinds. There seemed but little mud, yet in the very centre of the great basin was a patch of pebbles and rock higher than the remainder, standing like a small island that, before the lever had been touched, had been submerged. Leading the way, Omar descended to the edge of the lake, skirted it for some little distance, until he came to a long row of flat stones placed together, forming stepping-stones to the miniature island. "'Come,' he said, "'follow me.' And starting off we were soon crossing the bed of the lake, being compelled to advance cautiously, owing to the slippery nature of the weeds and water-plants that overgrew the stones. On gaining the island, however, a fresh surprise awaited me, for Omar, halting amid the mud in the centre, exclaimed, "'Watch carefully, Scars. You may some day desire to act as I am acting, but always remember that here any undue hurry means inevitable death.' "'Death? What do you mean?' "'Wait, and you shall see,' he replied. As stooping suddenly he turned up the sleeves of his royal robe, and groping with his hand in the mud, at last discovered an iron ring, green with slime, which, grasping with both hands, he slowly twisted many times. A hissing sound was emitted, as if the action of untwisting the ring relieved some heavy pressure, admitting air to a chamber that had been hermetically sealed. This surmise was, I afterwards learned, correct. The unscrewing of this ring caused the sides of a plate embedded in the mud to contract, and air so long excluded entered the mysterious place below. In a few moments, having paused to wipe the perspiration from his brow, Omar, again grasping the slippery ring, gave it a sudden jerk, and by that means lifted the covering from a circular hole, descending into an impenetrable darkness, but bricked round like a cottage well in England, and having projecting pieces of iron forming steps. "'Now,' exclaimed Omar, as together we peered into the mysterious opening, "'to descend at once would mean certain death.' "'How? Is the air below foul?' "'Not at all. The ingenuity of my ancestor, who constructed this place, made arrangements to avoid all that. The danger arises from a contrivance he devised by which any person attempting to explore it, and being unaware of the means to guard against death, must be inevitably swept into eternity. Now, in order to give you an illustration of this danger, I will show you the result of any adventurous person stepping down. Taking from the mud a long iron bar, which he observed incidentally was kept there for the purpose of guarding against death, he reached down the shaft, and placing the end of the bar upon the third step, threw his whole weight upon it, saying, we will suppose you have descended until your feet stand upon this step. Now watch. As the weight fell upon the step, it gave way so slightly as to be almost imperceptible, but suddenly from hidden cavities around the well-like shaft there came six rings of long, sharp steel spikes set inwards, three above and three below, which, contracting as they came forward, met and interlaced. In an instant I recognized what terrible fate would be the lot of any adventurer who dared to enter that dark shaft. The action of stepping upon that fatal projecting iron released hydraulic pressure of irresistible power, and the unfortunate one, unable to ascend or descend by reason of the danger being above and below, must be impaled by a hundred cruel spikes 
sharp and double-edged like spears, while the bands whereon they were set must crush his bones to pulp. I looked at this terrible device for producing an agonizing death and shuddered. The precautions taken to prevent anyone entering the place were the most elaborate and ingenious I had ever seen. Even if any person learnt the secret of draining the lake, the shaft leading to the mysterious subterranean place was unapproachable by reason of this extraordinary mechanical device. During five minutes the spikes remained interlaced, then automatically they disengaged themselves and slowly fell back into the cavity running round the brickwork, wherein they remained concealed. Thrice again did Omar repeat this action of pressing the bar upon the step, each time with an exactly similar result, chatting to me the while. Then, when for the third time the spikes had fallen back into their places, he said, Now, the secret to avoid this and lock the mechanism is to turn back this little lever and place it in this latch, so. This cannot, however, be done unless the step has been pressed three times. And bending over, he showed me another tiny lever, thickly encrusted with rust, secreted behind a movable brick in the first tier below the lake's bottom. This he placed in position, securing it in a niche so that it became immovable. Now, he said, we may descend without fear, and with these words knelt down, and after lighting a torch he had brought with him, commenced the descent into the cavernous gloom. I quickly followed, my feet resting for a brief instant upon that fatal iron projection, but no spikes came forward, for the terrible mechanism was now locked. Deep down into this circular shaft we went, the smoke and sparks from Omar's torch ever ascending into my face as I lowered myself from rung to rung, until at last, at considerable depth, we found ourselves in a kind of natural cavern. The place seemed damp and full of bad odors, to which submitting with patience we by a long passage, sometimes crawling under rugged arches, sometimes wading in mud and dirt, attained the end of the cavern where we stumbled on some narrow steps. But the torch shed little light, and we became nearly suffocated by the noisome vapors. "'I thought you said the air was fresh here,' I exclaimed good-humoredly to my companion. "'So I did,' he answered. "'I cannot make out why it has become so foul. The air-holes must have become accidentally stopped up.' The widening ascent was so intricate and clogged with dirt and rubbish that we worked like moles in the dark. Nevertheless, by diligent industry, we gained ground considerably. Yet, as we endeavored to mount, the slimy steps slipped from under us, and ever and anon we would come tumbling down with a weight of dirt upon us. After various labors, however, we suddenly entered a great cavern, quite dry. From its roof hung great stalactites that glittered and sparkled in the torture's uncertain light, while around the rough walls of this natural chamber were heaped in profusion great heavy chests of iron and adamant. With the torch held high above his head, Omar rushed across to the pile and bending, examined one chest after the other. Then, raising himself as the truth suddenly dawned upon him, he cried in a hoarse, excited voice, "'By the power of Zamara, we have been tricked!' "'Tricked? How?' I gasped in alarm. "'Cannot you see?' he wailed. "'This, the treasure-house of the Sanoms, has been entered and its contents worth a fabulous sum have been extracted see each trunk has been forced by explosives i gazed eagerly where he directed and saw that the trunks of iron and stone had been blown open by gunpowder 
for on each remained a blackened patch showing plainly the means used to force the strong chest wherein reposed the magnificent jewels the vessels of gold and the historic gem-encrusted and invulnerable armor of the nabas of mo then this is the place the secret of which the villainous old arab samory endeavored to wrench from you by torture i exclaimed gazing round the grim weird cavern yes he explained this is the treasure-house of my ancestors since the days of king karmos each naba or naya has added to the great store of treasure amassed for the purpose of the emancipation of our country in the day of need only the reigning monarch and the heir have in any generation ever known the secret of how the treasure-house can be approached the secret i have to-day revealed to you as keeper of the treasure but if you alone knew the secret who could have ransacked the place i asked the chests seem to have been recently opened true he answered and pointing to a heap of bejeweled swords breastplates and helmets that had apparently been hastily cast aside as the least valuable of the great treasure he added all the most historic and beautiful jewels have been taken and the gold vessels and things of minor value left see it is plain that the theft was accomplished in all haste for there was scarce time to sort the gems that are unique from those rivalled by others it certainly looks as if the jewels were secured in feverish haste i said at the same time picking up from the uneven floor a bronze oil lamp lying overturned and discarded together we set about making a systematic examination of the various chests numbering nearly one hundred those fashioned from single stones were of great age looking like coffins while those of iron were ponderous caskets bound with huge bands studded and double-locked with great antique hinges of marvellous workmanship with perhaps half a dozen exceptions the lid of each had yielded to the charge of explosive placed beneath it while in many cases the whole side of the casket had been blown completely out injuring or destroying some of its valuable contents jewelry and gems set and unset had been strewn about and trodden into the dust by hurrying feet and a few that i recognized at once as of fabulous value had been overlooked stooping i picked up from the dirt a marvelously cut ruby almost the size of a pigeon's egg but the majority of the treasure chest had been empty the place had been visited and the vast wealth of a nation stolen for the first time in the long glorious history of my land has the treasure-house been entered by thieves omar said as if to himself no mere adventurer can have been here this great robbery is the result of some base conspiracy the treasure of the sanams renowned through the whole world as the most wondrous collection of magnificent and unsurpassable gems has been cleared out and the entrance reclosed in a manner little short of marvellous to-day is indeed a sad one for mo and for me my inheritance has been taken from me by whom i inquired continuing my way examining one of the few chests that had apparently not been tampered with but as in the gloom i hastened from one casket to another my foot suddenly struck against some object causing me to lose my balance and thus tripped were it not for the fact that i clutched at the corner of the great chest i should have fallen upon my face bending to examine what it was i was amazed to discover that the body of a male slave still dressed in the uniform of the servants of the palace but rapidly decomposing it was the faint sickening odor emitted from the corpse that had greeted our nostrils when we entered the place 
we both bent and looked at him astounded at discovering still embedded in his back a long keen knife he had been struck down from behind and murdered while in the act of securing some of the treasure for his brown withered fingers still grasped a beautiful necklet of magnificent pearls an ornament worth several thousand english pounds that is one of the naya's personal attendants observed omar recognizing the dress but unable to distinguish the features of the murdered man so decomposed were they he perhaps participated in the plot and to secure his silence or his portion of the booty his fellow conspirators struck him to earth but to whom is due the chief responsibility in this affair i asked surely you have some suspicion i know not he answered besides myself only the naya knew the secret means by which the treasure might be reached then in all probability she secured it before her flight i cried that may be the truth he answered in a tone of suppressed agitation immediately she obtained knowledge through her spies of my intention to disobey her she may have secured the most valuable of the jewels and had them packed ready to take them with her if compelled to flee yet somehow i cannot believe she has done this for their removal must have attracted attention no i believe we shall have to look in another quarter for the thief then bending again to examine the hill of the knife embedded in the body of the unfortunate slave he added that poignard was hers she carried it always in her girdle and it seems after all as though this man were her confidant and assistant and that here alone she closed his lips by murdering him yet to her life was more valuable than the treasure and i cannot believe that she risked detection and capture in order to secure what she might afterwards obtain by the assistance of hirelings a dark tragedy has certainly been enacted i said glancing around the gruesome place with its gloomy quarters and crevices where the blackness was impenetrable the theft has been accompanied by a secret assassination at some coward's hand yes he exclaimed standing with folded arms and chin sunk upon his breast the great treasure belonging not only to our family but to our nation has been stolen and i swear by zomara's power that i will seek out the thief and recover it i am naba and it is my duty to my people to restore their wealth to its hiding-place each successive ruler has enriched his country by making additions to the store of jewels and it shall never be recorded that on finding the most valuable of our possessions stolen i made no effort to trace and recover them true they have been abstracted in a manner almost miraculous for ingenuity and rapidity but from this moment i will not rest until they are recovered and you scarsmere as keeper of the treasure-house shall assist me i am ready i answered excited at the prospect of this new task before us we will spare no effort to seek the thief and recover the treasure of the sanams it is as you declare a duty and i am ready and anxious to commence the search end of chapter thirty recording by tom weiss tom's audiobooks dot com